I'm Kaylee Arrett, and you're listening to episode 43 of Me When I'm Free. This is the podcast that ponders the question, who is this me when I'm free, and why does it even matter? And what would it be like to live into our unique design on behalf of the world? Let's explore these questions together each week through a simple story, a few moments of reflection, and space to pray. Join me, friend. Hi, friend. We are mixing things up again this week from our regular format so that I can bring you another interview. And I am so excited for you to meet this week's podcast guest, Elizabeth Myers. She and I met about a year and a half ago when she became my podcast coach to help me launch the Me When I'm Free podcast. So without her, we wouldn't be here. Her life is fascinating and her story of finding healing in adversity through discovering the gifts of resiliency is profound. She is the wife of a recently retired fighter pilot whom she met while they were in the Air Force Academy together, a homeschooling mom of eight, author, speaker, and podcaster, and has just settled down in Texas where she and her family are living out a dream by giving the farming life a try. I know that what she has to share is going to be an encouragement to someone who might need a little burst of hope in a difficult season. So here is my conversation with my friend, Liz Myers. Listen in. Well, hello, Elizabeth Myers. Welcome to the Me When I'm Free podcast. It's so good to have you. Thanks. It's so good to be here. It's good to chat with you again. Yes, I have been looking forward to this. So I have enjoyed getting to know you over, I guess, the past year or year and a half, but um, my followers have not met you yet. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. So I'm Elizabeth and my husband, I've been married for just 26 years, just over 26 years. And uh, we have eight kids and three of them are grown and have flown the nest and one's getting ready to launch okay. actually he's a senior he just finished his last class his last online class that he was doing so we're getting ready to graduate and launch him and wow. the others are all still at home and we homeschool so busy with that and my husband after 29 years in the air force is just retired and so we're living our well, my dream now mm-hmm. of being on kind of a farm. So we have chickens and goats and all kinds of things going on. Yeah. We were chatting a little bit before we started recording about some of your adventures mm-hmm. on the farm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, there's never a dull moment between the kids and the animals. There's a lot going on. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about uh, your podcast and your books. Yeah. So my podcast is called Resilient Life Hacks. And each week I interview a different person who's gone through some trial, trauma, or tragedy and come out the other side with a message to share, to encourage others. Because I feel like our stories are important to share. We don't all go through the same things. 
-hmm. but we can all, a piece of each story resonates with us in a different way. And that makes us more connected together as humans and more compassionate towards one another. But it also helps us deal with the things that we're going through because, mm -hmm. you know, they may have an idea that I hadn't thought of and, and I can apply that to my situation. Yeah. So I feel like we can just learn and grow together so much sharing with that. And the way I got the resilient life hacks idea was from my books. Um, the first one is called Undefeated from Trial to Triumph. And the second one is Undaunted in Darkness. And they're both about my personal struggle and the trial that I went through and how I came out the other side and how I learned to build resilience. And so that's kind of my overarching theme with them is, is this concept of resilience and of overcoming um, difficult situations because we all have them. Yeah. I love that. I, I love that phrase, resilient life hacks. There's mm -hmm. so much there to unpack. Um, and we will a little bit further on down the podcast. Um, but before we dive in to your story, which I'm eager to hear more about, I, this season on my podcast is all about calling mm -hmm. and uh, living into our calling. And I like to start the podcast with a fun question first before we go real deep. So my, my question for you is when you think about all the jobs that you've had over the years, what is your least favorite job to date? So that would be when I was in the air force, I went to the air force Academy and then after graduation, we had a five-year commitment. And on my first assignment, we, that was the first time I'd ever done like a, you know, a personality test or something. And they tell you what your strengths and weaknesses are. Okay. And my results came back as clergyman or social worker. Oh. It said, it specifically said, definitely not in the military. Oh, <laughs> so no. like, oh, I'm in the wrong place. Oh no. Um, so I took an assignment to McGuire Air Force Base in New Jersey because my husband and I had just gotten married and I wanted to be with him. And since he's a pilot and he flies, there was only, you know, he had certain places he had to go. So I became the follower and I tried to follow mm -hmm. him. So I just took any assignment that was available at base X so that we could be together. So yeah. I wound up taking a job. This is the official duty title and I'm not making this up. Tactical deception officer. That was the name what? of my job. And what first does of all, that mean? A crazy job. <laughs> it's awful. Um, so a, a tactical deception is when you kind of deceive the enemy. Like you make them think you're going to attack here and you attack there, or, um, you know, you, you plan sort of for one thing and kind of give cues that you're doing this thing. Meanwhile, you're doing something else over there. I'm wow. trying to think of a movie example where that would be, but I, it's not coming to me right now. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of that is based around flying and operations. And it had been a flying, an aviator's job to do that, but they were overwhelmed. So this was the first time they were giving it to somebody outside of the aviation field. And so they moved me out of the aviation section where I had contact with the people I was supposed to be working with and stuck me in the wing building and the, the wing, they were totally undermanned. So they just threw every additional duty at me so wow. I wound up just doing all these crazy jobs and not even doing the deception that I was supposed to be doing. Oh. <laughs> but it's like, you know, people ask, what are you doing? Oh, I'm a tactical deception officer. And of course, <laughs> there's all kinds of jokes. People, And I'm like, you know, as a Christian too, it's like, I don't want to be labeled a professional liar because that's what it sounds like. Yeah. I wish they had a different job title for that one. But I really, I could not wait to get out of that job. 
And uh, so the next assignment was much better, but that was my worst job ever. I hated going to it. I didn't feel competent at it. I didn't even like saying it. <laughs> it sounds highly stressful. Yeah, it was. I'm just trying yeah. to even imagine myself in that position. And I can't, I can't even imagine it. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I love it. Well, so you do have an amazing story of your journey to calling, um, you know, certainly starting with your Air Force training and your husband's Air Force training. And then when I think about your role as a mom uh, to eight kiddos, and then now your call into podcasting and writing and speaking. I mean, what a journey it's been, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I want to talk more about that. But before we do that, I would love to hear a little bit more about your story about when you were first drawn to Jesus, when he first called you, when, when did you first sense that? So when I was about 12 ish, my cousin came home from a summer camp and she was really uh, excited about her relationship with Jesus. And so that's when the first time I heard, you know, the basic outline of the gospel presented to me. And I thought, you know, it all sounded like a, a good thing to me. So, you know, I mm. said a prayer, you know, I, I invited Jesus into my heart, but mm. nothing in my life really changed beyond that because I was still just kind of going along doing the same things. You know, I didn't sure. know to do anything different. Yeah. So it really wasn't until I went off to college on my own and everything that I had kind of leaned on as a crutch in life was pulled out from under mm. me. You know, mm. I moved away from my family. We were cut off we were only allowed to talk a little bit on the weekends and not at all during basic training you can't even make a phone call wow. and um, I had to stand in line for an hour on the weekends <laughs> to call anybody wow. um, and then you know they take away a certain amount of your dignity your your humanity I had always mm. kind of been like the straight a student teacher's pet sort of thing and there's like the upperclassmen hate everybody <laughs> mm, so it's just all these kind of comfort things in life were gone and I actually originally started going to chapel we were allowed to go every night during basic training they had at mm. the time or you could stay in your room if you didn't mm. want to go to chapel I started out staying in my room but the upperclassmen bothered me so much asking me to do things for them that I'm like forget this I'm going to chapel so chapel literally was an actual sanctuary for mm, me. It was mm. where I was at peace and they couldn't pester me. So I sat <laughs> in the back and wrote letters home to my family. <laughs> and then just gradually over time, you know, I started picking up on the lyrics to the songs. I started listening to more to what the chaplain was saying. And I just very gradually kind of moved up the rows mm. and put my letters away and really got engaged with the things they were saying and realizing that that's what I needed, what I was missing out on was this strength and mm. comfort and joy that we can receive from a relationship with God that I wasn't really nurturing at that point. Mm. So that just kind of started the ball rolling for me of really understanding what it means to live with Christ. Mm. I came to the point where I wanted to be baptized again. I had been baptized as a baby by my parents at their church, but I felt like that was their decision. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to say, this is my decision. Yeah. So I did that on our winter retreat. It's the Air Force Academy is in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and mm -hmm. we would go up into the mountains um, to a place called Spring Canyon for retreats throughout the year. So I think it was January, February, and we went up in the mountains and the, oh boy. the, the leader there baptized people in the pond outside oh so we goodness. actually had to break the ice oh on the goodness. pond before we got in and there was there were five of us women being baptized 
and he was a former um, Air Force officer. And he turns around, you know, he points his finger at us. He says, I'm going to be in that water the whole time, you know, for all five of you. He goes, when I call your name, you will step into the water. You will not hesitate. <laughs> I don't blame him. So, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, you get in water that cold and I mean, it just takes your breath away. It's like there's a constriction on your lungs and you can't breathe in. And so wow. when I came up out of the water, I literally felt like it was a new life, you know, because wow. I'm like, oh, I could breathe. <laughs> So it was just really neat. It was very meaningful to me, but yeah. that kind of started my walk with taking it upon myself to engage with God in a meaningful relationship. Mm. I love that. I love that you got baptized in frozen water. Like that really shows your level of commitment to Jesus. I think yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Did you meet your husband then? So we Did met then and he kind of had his eye on me when we reconnected later. Okay. To me, honestly, he was just another guy in a, a uniform. I mean, they all looked the same to me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they all had shaved hair. Everybody wore the same <laughs> outfit every day. So I didn't really notice him. But later when he told me, oh, it, you know, I was at this and this and this, then I'm like, oh yeah, I remember those things happening. I just didn't put it all together that it was the same person. Oh, interesting. Um, so we were lieutenants assigned to the same base. We were in San Antonio after graduation and he okay. knew that we were assigned to the same base. I of course wasn't paying any attention to him, but he told his buddy, he's like, I'm going to ask her out, you know, wherever I see her, even if it's in the BX, which is like the store that they have on base. And um, turns out he had a roommate and I was best friends with his roommate or not best friends, but we were close friends. Mm -hmm. And so a bunch of us that were friends together came over to his house to watch a movie. So hmm. I was actually putting the movie in the VCR tape thing. That's how old I am <laughs> back in those days. And he hmm. and Joel, my husband, walked in the door and he's like, OK, this is not the BX, but this will do. You know, I was in his apartment. So I think it was just kind of a God thing wow. bringing us together. Um, wow. But then, you know, the rest is history. And okay. here we are nearly 30 years later. And eight kids and... Mm -hmm living all over the world. And <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> so I was thinking about the two, the two books that you've written. So they're called undefeated from trial to triumph and undaunted in darkness from broken to bold. So it's clear just from the titles of your book that you've experienced brokenness and struggle and have found freedom. So I would love to hear more about your story and how you have experienced healing. Yes, definitely. So after this point in college where we just talked about, then I don't think we meant to go chronologically, but we did, yeah. you know, then I met my husband and got married. And so, you know, I went through life as a committed Christian and I was trying my best to follow God. And I felt like we had a close relationship and, and all these things were going on. What I didn't realize and that I now know was I really had a transactional relationship with God. Mm. I viewed it as if I do all the do's and I avoid all the don'ts, then everything's going to work out in life well for me. Mm -hmm. And up to a certain point in my life, it kind of did. So that yeah. reinforced this understanding that I had, which I later found out is not how it works exactly. Um, and so I'm doing a better job of teaching my children that early on, like you will be disappointed in life. And that doesn't mean that God is not loving mm -hmm. you. Um, but we, I was pregnant with our sixth child, which had taken me a bit to get used to. It was the only pregnancy where I wasn't really excited about it right away. 
And so I really had to kind of surrender to God's plan. And I, I finally did. And I was happy about this baby. And then we went to visit family uh, for a holiday. And while we were out of town there, I had a miscarriage and mm. lost him. He was 14 weeks old. So mm. really tiny. He fit in the palm of my hand. Mm. And to this day, we don't really know what happened. Mm. But that just launched a whole spiral of things in my life. I had felt like, you know, I surrendered to God to be in this place. And then I felt like he took my baby from me. It, it was like a double surrender. Now I had to surrender the other way. Mm. And um, I really struggled with grief, which eventually got stuck in depression because I, I couldn't process what had happened and move forward. Unfortunately, our culture doesn't really know how to grieve a child, the loss of a child that hasn't mm -mm. been born yet. Mm -mm. And particularly at the hospital, there's a concern or a desire, I think, to dehumanize mm. a child that young. He was only 14 weeks. He wasn't over 20 weeks, which is kind of where they draw the line. So he was, they refused to even call him a baby. Uh, mm. They called him the products of conception. So there were things like that that just made it harder for me to grieve because nobody understood the pain that I, I felt like nobody understood. And no one would acknowledge it. It's like, ah, just, you know, blow it off and move on. And I couldn't, because to me, it was the same as if any of my other children had died. Mm -hmm. It was like, you know, you don't say to somebody, oh, well, at least she wasn't a five-year-old. You know, at least she died when she was three, because she was five, you'd be more attached to her. We mm -hmm. don't say that to people, but mm -hmm. for some reason, when you're pregnant with a child that you lose, people say that, well, at least you weren't further along or you know, because he wasn't further along, they wouldn't issue me a, a death certificate. They wouldn't return his body to me. So I couldn't mm. bury him. So mm. all these things that you would normally do in a process of grieving were not really available to me. Mm. And then I felt, honestly, I felt a betrayal by God. Now that's not what actually happened, but that's how I felt at that time. Sure. And so that just kind of sent me into a depression that I couldn't get out of. I, I didn't know who to talk to about this because I I felt like it'd be blasphemous to go to people at church and say, I'm not sure I believe that what God said is really true. Mm -hmm. um, I was physically in a bad place. I had not really been taking great care of myself anyway. And then I, a week after we lost Timothy, I hemorrhaged quite a bit. And so mm -hmm. I lost a lot of blood. I was very anemic. I was like on the borderline of needing a blood transfusion, but they opted not to. So I, and I never really fully recovered from that anemia. Like I've, I've, since that point, I've always been more tired than I used wow. to. Now you can argue, I do have a lot going on. You do. <laughs> so there's, still. there's that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but so emotionally, you know, I was stuck mentally, physically, you know, every little thing that happened, I took it as confirmation that God really didn't care about me. And I just got stuck in this bad place that I could not get out of. But on the outside, I was pretending that everything was okay. You know, mm -hmm. I, at first I, I tried to get help, but then, you know, I didn't really get it and I didn't feel like people believed me. So I just stuffed it, you know, mm -hmm. and I just pressed on going through the motions. Well, eventually, you know, it gets to the point where you can't do that indefinitely. Eventually mm -hmm. things are going to come out, even, you know, however much you try to stuff them down. And I got to the point where the pain of staying the same was more than the pain of changing. It's hard to change. It's hard to make changes. It's hard to admit you're wrong, but I got so desperate. I was just like, I can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And I could not figure out what my root problem was. You know, what, was I tired 
because, you know, depression can cause fatigue mm-hmm. or was I just depressed because I was so tired because of the physical thing that that made me feel depressed. But if I fixed the physical thing, the depression would go away. Or yeah. are all of these problems spiritual because I'm angry at God and this is him getting back at me. I didn't yeah. know. So I thought I'm just going to do, you know, move forward on all those. But my military speak is I was going to mm. attack all four fronts. I'm coming mm. at it from all directions. Mm. So mentally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally, I'm like, I started making baby steps. So I'm going to fast forward a bit because I don't want to get too down in the weeds, mm. but I restarted having that quiet time with God in the morning and I would write in a journal and I was about three quarters of the way through my first notebook. And I'm like, I think I'm writing a book. You know, I think this could help mm. other people. So that's how my pain launched into a purpose and the calling. You know, I felt like God was saying, don't hoard these things I've given to you, share these with other people. Mm. And writing comes more naturally to me. So I started with writing, thinking that's all there was going to be. But then when you have a book, then they're like, oh, you need to be a speaker. (laughs) Anyway, Mm -hmm. thanks, just snowball. Mm -hmm. So my calling keeps expanding bigger than I thought it would. But God's like, okay, you did that. Now you're ready for the next thing. And um, so it's been quite an adventure and quite a journey. And I didn't know how to do any of the things that I've done. I just, I felt that little nudge from God. And so I kind of just jump in and go, okay, here we go. Mm, (laughs) Um, So yeah, it's been kind of a wild ride and I can definitely divide my life into what my life before Timothy and my life after Timothy. And although that was really painful to me, that's what my message is all based on. Like I wouldn't have anything to say to people if I hadn't gone through that situation, but now I have things that I can offer to other people who are hurting. Yeah. It is so amazing to me how often our calling comes from our pain. Mm -hmm. There's something God wants us to do to, um, to redeem, um, well, he redeems, he redeems it. And I think some of the most beautiful callings come from stories of pain. Mm -hmm. So I just, I think your story is so profound. Um, I also, as I've thought about calling, I've come to believe that our calling is directly related to a journey of healing and of overcoming what holds us back from living freely, um, whether it's going to be shame or fear, unbelief or trauma. And as I'm listening to you talk about your story, I was thinking about how often in um, Christianity, sometimes we over-spiritualize these things and we just tell ourselves, we just need to get over it. And so I often wonder if what holds us back from healing is believing that God actually doesn't really care about our pain that he just thinks we just need to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and get over it. And he just cares about the externals that we look good and that we obey him. Do you think that's true that that belief is a stumbling block for people? Definitely. It definitely was for me. And I'm sure I'm not alone in that, but I've heard people say so often, God helps those who help themselves. And that's not really in the Bible. That's not a biblical concept. God helps us because we can't help ourselves. Right. It's, it's acknowledging our dependence on him. After Timothy passed away, it happened at home where we were vacationing, but then we went to the hospital to get me checked out and everything. And that's where um, they kept his body. And they said they were going to cremate him and scatter the ashes in the garden. Mm. So on the way out of the hospital, my husband and I stopped 
in the garden to look at it. And there was kind of a distant storm. It was a very cloudy day and there was a storm in the distance. It wasn't raining where we were yet, but you could kind of hear the rumble of thunder in the background. And, and in that thunder, I kind of felt like, I didn't hear like a voice, but I, I had a thought in my head of God saying to me, I am with you. Mm. And that was comforting to me in that moment. And then after that, I went five years, I think, without feeling any closeness to God whatsoever. I just mm. felt like he was silent. And mm. I, I got stuck for so long because I would just cry out and pray. And, you know, we have this concept that prayer will fix everything. And God can certainly just go boom, you know, and, and fix your situation. But I think in my case, uh, obviously, he didn't want to fix it that quickly. I think he had things he wanted me to learn. Mm-hmm. This is just me supposing. I mean, I can't fully know the mind of God, but mm-hmm. he wanted to share things with me, have me learn these along the way so that I can share them with others. So I believe mm-hmm. there was purpose in that pain. And he was being silent for a reason so that I can identify with people who are having a hard time believing mm-hmm. in God, mm-hmm. who are ha- having a hard time hearing his word. And after I came out of that and I was reading about, you know, several other famous preachers or theologians or people who, you know, wrote Christian books or whatever, have gone through a period of silence where they felt like God wasn't wasn't speaking to them. And so I think part of that's, it's a strengthening of us mm-hmm. because I used to love God and be connected to him and praise him for all the great things he did. Now it's kind of that, but if not feeling of, yeah, this is great. But even if God doesn't come through with all these things, I still love him. My faith is still in him. My hope is still in him. Mm-hmm. Even if the best circumstance doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. So I, that was really transformative for me to, to learn that all those nights I stayed up crying and thought God had abandoned me. He was actually there mm-hmm. all along. Mm-hmm. And now things still happen, but I never feel like God's leaving me again. Mm-hmm. I feel like he's allowing something negative in, in my life for a reason. Mm-hmm. And if I understood as much as God does, if my if I knew everything, if I knew all the details, mm-hmm. and if my motivations were as pure as his, then I would choose the same thing for me. Mm. But the reason why there's this disconnect and sometimes God doesn't do what we think he should in a situation is because he knows more than we do and he's more good and more pure than we are. Mm. So it seems wrong to us, but in his perspective, it's not. And that's where faith comes in. I can't see that i can't mm-hmm. know what he knows i mean it's not possible mm. it's like you can't teach your dog physics god can't tell us the reasons why x y and z happened because mm. we wouldn't understand it anyway mm-hmm. and so that was a big thing for me i got to the place where i didn't want a god that i could understand i wanted a god that i could trust mm. even when i don't understand because i realized if god were small enough for me to understand everything and have all the answers to all the why questions he wouldn't be worthy of my worship he'd be mm. too small Hmm. So um, now I kind of delight in the mysteries of God that, you know, there are a lot of things that he reveals to us and there's some things he keeps hidden, but that's part of his greatness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was thinking of the word mystery as you were talking yeah. that there is a mystery to God. There's a mystery to suffering. There's a mystery to pain. And there's something about that, that keeps drawing us back in and recognizing our need. And so even though we can't fully understand it, there's a gift in it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So I love that you call yourself a resilience mentor. And I would love to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, so I figured out sort of through my life, through the story that I've shared of these, I, I now have five areas of resilience. Before I, I mentioned mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional. Later through study and through kind of refining these ideas, I added the will uh, as a fifth component. So my second book, Undaunted in Darkness, lays all five of those out. Mm. And resiliency is very important for overcoming adversity. But it's not like we're either born with grit or we don't have it. It's a learned skill. So mm -hmm. we can all learn how to be more resilient. We can learn how to, you know, take the punches and, and pop back up again. Or uh, sometimes I feel like my life is like waves coming in from the ocean. It's just I barely get up from one and the next one comes and knocks me mm. down. But the way that we can overcome that and do that is by intentionally building resilience into our life and usually it would be better to start that before we're in an adversity situation. Mm. Um, so in the book, I talk about building a stronger spirit through communication or prayer with God, uh, building a stronger mind through truth, which we find in his word, building a stronger will by submitting our will to his and by worshiping him, acknowledging that he is God and we are not. And that's a good thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then physically, we build strength physically because I realized how much mental health and physical health are connected mm -hmm. you know, and thoughts that happen in our brain. They're not disconnected from our physical body. Our brain is an organ and, um, you know, it's affected by what we eat and how we exercise. And I feel like when we do a good job taking care of ourselves and building a strong body, then we're able to serve others. And that's how we can live out our service to God. Our bodies don't last, right? When we're mm. done, when our work here on earth is done, then the bodies die. Mm -hmm. So this shell is really what keeps me plugged in here to this world where I can serve other people. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not taking care of it, then I, I have trouble serving my family, you know, raising my children, uh, doing the things that God calls me to do. So I mm -hmm. feel like that's an important part, even though as Christians, we often kind of ignore the body. Mm -hmm. I, I call attention to that. Mm -hmm. And then the, the fifth area is a strong heart and um, being connected. You know, the scripture says we love God and we love others. So this is kind of the, the loving others part, the relationships. And really, a lot of it boils down to being grateful. Mm -hmm. And I know that's kind of cliche now, of you know, writing down things you're thankful for, having a gratitude journal. But it, it's really so huge because mm -hmm. I realized that scripture that says, if you seek, you will find. I, I think I would word it what you seek, you will find. Mm. Because when I was seeking to find reasons that God didn't care about me, I found them. Every yeah. little thing I turned into, mm. see, God doesn't care about me. Yep. But when I flip that around and I'm intentionally looking for those little touches of God in my life, I see them everywhere. Mm -hmm. and, and it kind of makes the other things fade away. Even in a stressful situation, I see God at work in there, or I see that he provided this, this thing. And that gratitude really just fills our heart. And then we're better able to love other people with the mm. love that we receive from him. Mm. I, th I feel like it's taken me well into my adult life to understand that I am body, mind, soul, and spirit, mm -hmm. and they all are intertwined together. Yes. And I can have a day where, you know, I'm feeling very low and you know, just going for a run will mm -hmm. help 
improve that. And, yeah. and I think I haven't made that connection until recently. I also love the practice of gratitude as well. I'm amazed at how I can once again, be feeling down and just sit and write a gratitude list. And suddenly my perspective has shifted and I'm in a space of joy. Mm -hmm. Um, our family actually has a practice each night before we eat that we say something we're grateful for. And immediately there's a shift at the dinner table. I love that you're teaching practices for each one of these areas of life that help, you know, lead us into a space of wholeheartedness of living a fulfilling life. Um, it's beautiful. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Me When I'm Free podcast. You can tune back in next week to hear part two of this interview. In the meantime, click follow to subscribe to the podcast. And I'd be delighted if you left a review in your favorite podcast listening app. Thanks for listening, friend. Let's meet back here next week. Thank you.